Hey, man. Sorry for the delay. That's all right. Um, Is it raining more, where you're at? Uh, no, uh, but that means it's um, the first time in, what, three days that it hasn't been? <laughs> it is. We were outside. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what day the big storm rolled in. Um, we were outside in the backyard. Was extremely nice out, and all of a sudden on a, on my phone I got one of those. There's a tornado warning, and I was like, "Tornado! It's like beautiful." Within three minutes, it started to pick up so fast and out of nowhere. And so we kind of like, you know, all of us were outside. So we all, I'm like getting everybody to run in the house. And then as we're like trying to walk in from the backyard, it's getting progressively more intense. And at one point it was like the panic feeling of like (laughs) this, because stuff's like blowing over, you know, and like it went from being just windy before a storm to like gale force, ridiculous wind. And so Chelsea was like, relax, like, this is not that what, you know, whatever. So we get in the house, close the doors. It, it just, you know, monsoons, crazy wind. We go outside the, like in, in a matter of five minutes, a huge, like huge tree limbs, massive tree limbs had fallen from across the street and come into our yard. We had tons and tons of shingles on the, on our front yard. We had our shutters got ripped off. Um, like all, all of the matter of, you know, no time. And it was, and then there were, there was these huge metal pieces that had flown into our yard and around other people's yards. And we thought it was from our roof. We're like, awesome. We just bought a house and you know, we're going to need a new roof. It was from the apartments that were like, uh, you know, 70 yards from us. It had, no kidding. Yeah, I mean, it, it was. And so anyway, I told Chelsea when we came in, I was like, that was like 70 mile an hour winds. And then Brad Panovich the same day uh, tweeted that it was set literally 70 mile an hour winds. <laughs> Chelsea was like, I already saw it and I already like. I've been hiding it from you because I don't want, I didn't want you to get the validation of guessing it right. Right. Yeah, we had a whole um, uh, big oak tree fall over, like the whole thing. Really? Yeah. Away from the house? Yes. Yep. Yeah, it it landed on a fence, but um, other than that, you know, definitely could have been worse. Uh, Ashley Kramer texts me that I think it was in Myers Park. Uh, it was either that or Elizabeth. On her street, ten trees fa- fell and crushed ten houses. Like, Are you serious? All and I mean massive, huge, you know, mature trees or whatever. In the course of you know just that little ten minute thing, and so anyway. always trying to one up me, Ashley Kramer. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, that's, I love bragging about natural disasters. Love it. Yeah. Oh man. She, um, well, that's so like her. 
she yeah she's the worst i can't stand her um <laughs> here's a question for you okay uh, uh and I'll, you'll i'll tell you what made me think of this in just a second but what life skill do you wish that you had that you don't now and believe and it's completely different from like you know what superpower do you wish you had because obviously we have no control over that and you know when we talk about certain characteristics or life skill you know it's we say oh man i wish i was i wish i was more patient or whatever and it's like well just become somebody who's more patient then you know so but so the question is like if you could just bypass the work and become something that you're not what would it be that's a great question because here's mine well, one of mine. And okay. if I gave it more thought, I could probably think of a better one. But I, so, you know, based on what we we're going to be talking about today, I had done a bunch of work on uh, some of these passages before. And, you know, of course I can't find it because <laughs> like it was in, oh, I don't know if it was in an old computer, old documents, pages. If I had emailed it to myself, I no longer have a center city email, you know, all this kind of stuff. And basically, it's like there is so much stuff like that that if I were an organized person, I would be able to know exactly where it is. I like it takes me 20 minutes to find the book that I'm trying to locate, (laughs) you know, files, sermons, notes on things. And I know that I could just become a more organized person. And I bet I. I just, I need to, and if I could snap my fingers and just make it happen, I think that that's would be what it is because I don't think they're like, it's one of those things where no one wants to be more organized, but no one is less organized. And that's a, that's a tough place to be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm certainly like, it, it will come as no shock that in high school and college, uh, somebody posted a meme about this the other day, and Chelsea showed it to me. Uh, they were like, "I wonder what, I wonder what these, how these people ended up." And it was a picture of just like a thousand wadded papers in a uh, backpack. And <laughs> I mean, I just uh, and and Chelsea, of course, is the exact opposite. Like she had color coded stuff. Everything went in a folder. She turned in everything on time. She has like a chronological memory. She can, she recounts the, or recalls things that are just like impossible to remember. And I, you know, yeah, no way I I pay. I pay like, I don't know, between four and $10 a month for like six services that, are like iCloud uh, backup kind of things. I don't even know how to use any of them. I'm just hoping that one of them works. I don't even care. And I don't care. Cause like, I'm like, all right, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to organize this. I'm just not, I'm not going to keep good folders on my computer. I'm not going to put things where they need to be. I'm just going to pay these things and hope that it works one day. See, that kind of surprises me. Cause no, I, I definitely don't think that you would be, um, you know, color coordinated, color coordinated folders. But I would think electronically, your computer was 
tidy and like no 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 like you don't have files with old sermons and stuff so yes okay so i think partially it's just because i have too many files or whatever and so i keep things that are like sermons or books or ideas or uh design files or whatever but that i probably have i probably have a hundred folders on my computer called stuff stuff one <laughs> stuff two like that i just throw crap in because my desktop is so abysmal that anyway so i'm sure this is really compelling conversation i'm sure people are really right in line with us my there's a there's a skip 10 button <laughs> My, I think my skill is, uh, organization will be a good one, but I, I don't think for me, the thing that just completely goes against, I don't know that I'm just, I can't even imagine is being handy. Like I just, I can, I can kind of fix small things, you know, I can, but I just, I just think there's two kind of people in the world. And even with something as dumb as Ikea furniture, there's the person uh, who the the package comes in and they immediately open it and pull out the instructions and start, and that's Chelsea. And then there's the, it will sit in its box for at least three, four weeks before I even think about doing it. Because it's like, it's going to take too much brain power. It's going to be annoying. I'm going to do it wrong. I've got to be in the right headspace. And so people that could just like, you know, we've talked about that office idea in my backyard about like the, like a storage, like a she shed kind of an idea. Like right. there are so many people, you being included, of course, that could have that idea that could start compiling uh, materials and could just do it. They could just do it. You know, they might have to have one person come in to help them at some point, or they might have to, I don't even know what they'd have to do, but ultimately they could do 95% of the work and, and, you know, do it over the course of a couple of weekends or something. And I'm just, I'm just not that guy. I'm, I'm the guy that pays to get his headlights, uh, like changed out. Uh, I would never change my oil in a million years. Just not going to do it. What's weird though, is how, how much of that is genetics and how much of it is just interest because I can think right now without even trying too hard of three separate families that I know that have a um, certain amount of siblings where, you know, several of them are basically MacGyvers. Uh-huh. But then there's, there's the one that just <laughs> is the opposite of whatever the, the opposite of MacGyver, whatever that would be. Yeah. And I, you know, same environment, same situation, growing up all that sort of thing so well did you I, I see did you see the michael jordan thing where his dad you know told uh his dad talked about how the brother could could help him fix anything and all that stuff and, yeah. and michael didn't know the difference between whatever two tools he said uh yeah it's like is that actually true was was he that bad does was he not you know uh capable of doing that? I don't think so. I think it just had to have been an interest or somebody else picked up the, you know, my, and for, uh, for me, my dad was never like a super handy guy, never like fixing stuff. Uh, that was not one of the things he, 
one of the million things that he taught me or gave to me. So I just, you know, I have no interest in it. I have no like foundation or whatever of like common knowledge of even what tools are like no clue. Yeah. Well, (laughs) uh, last little thing. Uh, have you ever seen Neil Brennan's comedy special three mics? Um, I bet I have seen the first 10 minutes four times. (laughs) You didn't like it or you fell asleep every time? Uh, the latter. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I know that I will, I would enjoy the whole thing. I just, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. It's just, it's just, uh, I saw it recently again and I just, I think it's a great comedy special. I think it's, uh, without going too far into it, I, I think it's, you know, it's better than most sermons. Well, I mean, explain it a little bit because sometimes, you know, when a thing has been done a thousand times or more than that, even like a comedy special or whatever, it's like sometimes people try to reach to be unique and stand out and it just fails miserably because they tried to be unique for the sake of being unique. But what he did, I thought was, it was a really cool concept that worked. Yeah. Yeah. People that reinvent the wheel. There was a, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, he's like a, was a YouTube guy. And then, or like a Vine star guy. And then now he's like a super famous comedian. Oh, I'll kick myself for not being able to think of his name. He tries to do super over the top, elaborate, uh, super aware of the fact that he's doing comedy and all it just, it doesn't, it doesn't land with me at all. So I know exactly what you mean. Like don't try to reinvent the wheel too much, but Neil Brennan, uh, co-created Chappelle show and he's, you know, brilliant. But he, uh, this comedy special, he has three mics on stage. And so one mic, uh, he like walks to, whenever he walks to it, he's talking about uh, his own battle with depression and with like very real emotional kind of stuff. Then there's another mic that he does like sort of Dimitri Martin one-liner kind of comedy. And then the other one, he just does his traditional like normal stand-up comedy stuff. And anyway, I think it's a, I think it's really brilliant. And, uh, I think pastors and church people could learn from that sort of honesty or whatever. Well, I know we are not the first people to say this, but I mean, we have talked a lot about the overlap and similarities of the kind of the, the direction that stand up has gone and what pastors could learn from that as far as what works um, or the overlap between stand-up and sermons. Yeah. Yeah. And not even preachy stand-up. So not even like uh, Nanette or whatever, uh, like really over the top sort of uh, social commentary stuff, like even dumb, dumb comedy. Like, so I was listening to some comic the other day, talk about uh, people being offended at his comedy set. And he was like, I'm really sorry that you took something seriously at my ha ha show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, but like I, uh, I, I just respect, I, I, I have learned way more from comics than I have from preachers. And, uh, 
I, I as kind of uh, extreme as that sounds, I I actually really mean it. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, except the only thing you haven't learned is how to transition from that <laughs> into. <laughs> yeah, that's uh that's like stupid sermon openers and I'm I'm the same way where it's like uh you know you tell some funny story or something that you you find funny You're like anyway so taquitos like I've been really thinking about the connection between taquitos and uh and Jesus this week obviously it's just <laughs> brutal just I I've thought about probably a hundred times just writing into my notes uh Say say the first part to get people's attention and to not you know bore people to tears, and then just don't don't say anything that connects it. Just be like, all right, John chapter seven. That's it. Just who cares? It doesn't. Right. It doesn't have to connect. It's like, you know, and we're all like Charles Barkley's golf swing, or you know, just the stupidest. Those lines, I want them to be thrown into the lake of fire. They're awful. They hurt me. Well you know, inside baseball, you know that the only reason pastors pray in between introductions and the beginnings of sermons because they don't have a connection. Correct. Or, or if they pray, especially if they pray in the middle of a sermon, because that means I don't know where the heck I'm at. I don't know what I'm talking. You know what guys, let's just, everybody bow your heads for a second. Let's just reset. Let's just, I'm going to say some stuff. We'll stop thinking about everything I just said. All right. Anyway. I saw, there was something I saw the other day that was basically someone, when someone is singing a special at church and they pretend to cry because they forgot the words. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. 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 My, my favorite is. Uh, in those settings, which I'm sure you've heard is, uh, guys, I, I just, my, this CD was supposed to come in the mail last week and it didn't get here until yesterday. I haven't had any time to prepare for this. Uh, I'm just praying that the Lord will use it, you know, whatever. And, uh, like, dude, you've been practicing this for three years, please. (laughs) But it's trying to give themselves an out, you know? Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case this stinks, you'll know why. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, my God. Well, All right. Well, uh, actually, to transition, in, and we won't even make any connections. Uh, so we talked about last week about, like, you know, the news of not meeting this summer um, at least – not having a specific plan for meeting this summer because of the schools being closed down. So now the conversation has moved, you know, away from just being willing to kind of uh, do what's necessary for public health and for, you know, the health of our folks from neighborhood. Now, now that there's, you know, more form to it, we know how long this is going to be at least we're, we're trying to, have conversations about what that means now. Um, I think for our folks though, we're trying to figure out now what, how to like, how are we going to be together? 
and and what are we going to be doing and how can we keep some semblance of community um just know that you know madeline and sarah and steve and myself uh are trying to figure out what that means like because we've had people have come over and brought us food like i mentioned and we just sit in the backyard far apart from each other um we're starting to kind of widen our quarantine group of people that we interact with just a little bit with like family members and stuff. So as that continues, what does that, you know, what does that look like for us? How can we do small gatherings and backyards and how can we, um, anyway, we've just got a hundred ideas of things that we're talking through and, um, that I think will take shape here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And, and just in case, there's someone that doesn't know like op- reopening for churches will look different for every church. But the thing that we're, we deal with um, unique, well, not uniquely, but other churches are in the same boat is we don't have a building to go back to. Like we are, we can't meet in the school that we meet in. Right. And it's so, not a decision. Right. So it's not us deciding whether or not we should go back there um, at 50% or, you know, or whatever, like restaurants, it's literally, okay, that's been taken away for us. We know that throughout the summer, now that we have that in place, how do we best proceed with wisdom in a way that still treats neighborhood with the value that we think that it deserves? So what, you know, for sure. Um, and, you know, uh, as much as the extremes of this thing get talked about and, you know, uh, we, we hear about in the news or whatever, I think most churches that I know of and pastors that I know of, uh, even ones that I disagree with their decisions are, are taking everything seriously, you know, and are, are not thoughtlessly or carelessly entering into things. And so we, you know, I I, uh, I was telling my dad this morning that even really really progressive churches that I know of are starting to meet again, and uh, and so I think there are just so many different layers to all of this. But I do think I do think us finding ways to gather and. Uh, you know, not congregate in large groups or whatever, but for us to f- to be able to physically be together and to, you know, share life with one another, I think is really important um, for all of our mental health and for what we're trying to accomplish with neighborhood and all of this. So um, I'm excited about all that. Yeah. So that all that intro was a lot longer than normal. Um, so what do you say we just kind of look at the text and uh, be a little bit more brief about it, but offer some thoughts on it? A lot of people turning this off right now. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll read. I'll read the Acts text, and then we can we can uh, we just have like one or two little things out of it. So Acts chapter one six through fourteen. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord. Is this the time you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, 
but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing up toward heaven. Suddenly, two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. Is that it? That's it. You cut this out, or you can cut this, but... It just reminded me, I, I might have told you this story before, but I had worked on a TV show um, with uh, Roush Racing, which is the big, you know, the biggest Ford racing team. And uh-huh. the the owner is like, you know, obviously not Michael Jordan, but like a big deal type thing. And what was so funny is time and time again, he would forget his lines, but every time it was so obvious because every time he forgot his lines, he would act as if he coughed. So it was like, it's like, Oh, I remember but I'm sorry. I just had a thing in my throat. Now I'll do it. Right. Like he would never just admit I didn't know my line or I, I messed it up. One of my favorite things are people that are famous in niche communities and people that react. So like there's somewhere where, like a World of Warcraft player walks into a room and people are like, oh, 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 shh, 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 shh. Yeah. he's here, he's here, he's here. Yeah, that's, that's Double Dragon 3. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Meanwhile, he's just in 11th grade getting the crap kicked out of him in PE class every day of his life. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, whatever brand of whoever makes kickballs now that is tattooed <laughs> on his forehead uh, <laughs> or anyway. dodgeballs, I guess. Yeah. Um, all right. So there we go. So that's the text that, uh, we, we read because it is Ascension, uh, Sunday. Um, and obviously it's the time that we remember the, the Ascension of Jesus. Um, and that's, it's kind of a, it's kind of an odd, story that is almost like you know what was actually happening there i mean is this literally just jesus uh saying you know surprise uh you saw all of these other things i did but then guess what i can also fly you know like it's not is it just jesus revealing this my final greatest trick (laughs) right and it's like well but the problem is he raised he was already raised from the dead. So it's like that was your closer. You know, <laughs> you're not going your encore, what's your encore going to be if your closer was you raised from the dead? Like you should have flown da- eight da- chapters <laughs> earlier. David Blaine comes out of a tomb and then and then like does does an encore thing, walks back on stage and just does the little thumb movement thing, like yeah, exactly. check it out. Yeah. How about this? Yeah. 
see these two rings now they're locked together <laughs> yeah so i don't think that's exactly what's happening and there, there's a lot that we could talk through um but just trying to be real brief with this one and the one thing that i think that we could talk about is simply this this is it's not exclusively this but part of it is a re-performance of the elijah elisha story um because if we remember back in the the book of kings we had the prophet elijah who came onto the scene as a as a way to offer this alternative message to the message that the kings at the time were presenting to the people. And he embodied this alternative narrative, this prophetic narrative. And, you know, you could go through all the um, events of his life, the, uh, the interactions with the prophets of Baal on, on Mount Carmel to um, his interactions with uh, King Ahab and Jezebel and, and, and all of this, this powerful life that Elijah lived. And, but he didn't do it alone all the time because he had an understudy. He had a someone that he was mentoring in the school of the prophets, and uh, that person was, of course, Elisha. And so, as and as Elisha is entering the final uh, chapter of his life, um, we get this interaction between him and Elisha, where Elisha would not leave his side, and is just wanting um, wanting to carry on what was happening. Like, how will, how will this powerful prophetic work carry on once you leave? Like, you are where this alternative prophetic message is being embodied. And so upon your departure, how will this spirit continue? In the world, and what we find then in Second Kings is the story of when Elijah was taken up to heaven, and what he told Elisha was, "If you see this happen, if you are able to witness this ascension, then your request will be given to you." And that request, of course, was a double portion of that spirit or of that that presence in in his own life. And so what Elijah said is that's a really hard ask that you just gave. But if you witness this ascension, if you witness me being taken, then um, then it'll be something that will be granted to you. And then, of course, Elisha was able to witness this ascension um, and was a recipient of this double portion of Elijah's spirit. And so. So what does that say then about what we're witnessing here? Like Elijah has been associated with the work of Jesus in other places throughout the gospel. I mean, this isn't just grasping for straws. There already is this association of Elijah to the Jesus story. And so what does it mean then that these disciples are are gifted with being able to witness this ascension? I mean, we can we can easily connect the dots there, right? Yeah, I mean, it's... it there's a torch that's being passed and you know, was it, was it in the garden that, that Jesus told Mary not to cling to him? Yeah. That, you know, Jesus resurrected from the dead. Like you said, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the big finale, you know, it's the, but then on the other side of that, there's all these encounters with him and everything. And so 
you'd have to think that the disciples are like, all right, well, let's let's kick this thing back off. You know, like you, he's thirty three at that point, right? Like let's let's keep uh let's keep this thing rolling and uh and but he's he's ascending he's leaving them again um and so what's happening in that is it just him i don't know i i'm just imagining what it would have been like to be there cuz i've you know i've stood on the mount of olives before i've looked into jerusalem from it and uh I know this sounds so stupid, but it's just, it's just a place, you know, it's just like a, it's a hill and what is happening in their minds there? What, and what is the, what does it even mean that he's ascending? I I don't know. I just, I just imagine that they're confused. And then in that sense of confusion and all of that, they're the message that they're getting is the thing that helps kind of organize them afterwards and, and, and empower them of course, but that is the thing that is like, all right, well, this is what we, this is what we have to do now. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah. Cause what does it mean that, that the torch has been passed because this isn't just like, you know, this isn't just someone who, you know, started a, started a business and, you know, and then was very successful or whatever, and then just simply um, passed it down to, you know, their son or daughter or whatever to run it or whatever. I mean, he hadn't been training Bartholomew to be the, uh, the Jesus understudy to like, all right, now you be Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Right. But what does it mean then to, to carry the torch? Because like, when you look back at the Elijah Elisha story, um, Brueggemann write, writes this amazing book on uh, – oh, I wish I could remember the name. Anyway, so Brueggemann wrote this yeah, – hold on. It might be right behind me actually. Yeah. Ha. I'm more organized than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so Brueggemann – Walter Brueggemann wrote this awesome book on – uh, the witness of Elijah and Elisha. Uh, it's called testimony to otherwise because, um, because what Elijah represented, um, was the embodiment of an, of an alternative to the way in which the Kings were organizing the life of the Israelites or the way that the Kings were trying to organize the culture Um, Because if you remember, the Israelites were warned about even wanting a king, Uh right? Yeah. Like, um, go through that list. They will will take your sons to war. They will demand taxes, labor, chair, you know, all of those things. They were warned um, about that. But, of course, they demanded to be like the other nations because they could not imagine a way of being in the world that was different from the way in which the nations around them were existing. They, you know, God was saying, I'm calling you out to embody an alternative to that, but they couldn't even imagine it. And so God came and he said, okay, fine, here's your Kings. And then we are given um, the stories of these Kings throughout the book of Kings and Chronicles. And what Elijah represents is an inbreaking 
to that story with an alternative. And so um, he brings healing stories. He brings um, stories of being fed in the wilderness, of, of uh, you know, bringing life to uh, where death had, had found its way in, whether it's because uh, he represents he represents the alternative. Like he brings stories of healing. He brings stories of, of challenging the oppressive authorities. Uh, he brings, he brings an embodiment of, of literally bringing life back to uh, the widow's child that had, had, had passed. I mean, he was fed by the natural world as ravens were, um, uh, brought him food and, you know, and all of these things, he embodied all of that. Um, and so what Elisha did was not just be Elijah 2.0, like you said, it's not like, uh, the disciples were, were thinking, how do I now replicate the life of Jesus step for step? But it's like, how do I carry on this torch? What does it mean for that presence, that life to continue in the world for that light to remain within a dark world and so what we get then is and so we get stories of like like in second kings four when when there was a poor widow um who was her husband her husband had died and now creditors were threatening to take her home and her two sons. And she was at the end of the line and, and Elisha comes in and says to go collect as many jars as you can find um, and watch what God can do. And each of those jars then were, were filled with olive oil. And, you know, basically these stories of, of food and resources and things needed for life being secured in ways outside of the King's narrative. I mean, God operates outside of those constraints um, and proves that when handled properly and when, uh, when handled properly, there remains an abundance in places that had not yet been noticed. Um, and so Elisha carries on this alternative to the, the kingly narrative. Um, and, and so what is the Jesus story then that the, that, and so what is the Jesus story that is now being passed on to those witnessing his ascension? It's the same animating energy and power. And I mean, something significant is being passed off. It's not just, this is our, this is our mission statement. Now keep going and uh, keep doing the same kinds of things. It's like, this is, I'm giving the very spirit that fills me to you to go out and continue to do this work. Yeah. I like the way, I like the way you, you put it when, when you talk about the thing that animates, um, because that is part of what's happening here. It's like this thing that is animated, the, the vocation and the purpose and this life of Jesus is now being passed on to, to be carried on and, and, you know, continue to, be put into the world by, by those of us who follow him. And, you know, when, when he says lines, when Jesus says things like, you know, greater things will you do? Um, there's a lot of different takes on that 
and and I'm not saying that this is exclusively what he means, but but think about it in these ways. It's like, you know, okay, gurus come and go or whatever, or like individuals can inspire and be like these points of intrigue and and all of this. But it's like, but what if a community like truly embraced it? Like how much more powerful would it be if like a, a an actual community of people embraced these powerful teachings of Jesus? Yeah. Because G- Jesus can help the poor. Jesus can talk about these alternative ways of being in the world. I mean, he can present these powerful messages, the Sermon on the Mount, but it's like, and, and he can even live it to a perfected, in, in a perfected way or whatever. I mean, he can give away his possessions and do all of these things, but it's like, but think of the power that would be put into the world if that was embodied by a community of people. Yes, yes. I mean, and it's not just, uh, like I said, it's not a mission statement. It's not like we, these are the things that we stand for. It's like, I'm filling you with the very same essence that's in me that I am. And now you with that power that's in you go do what I did and what I'm doing in the world and like what I'll continue to do through you. And I think, you know, without making it some kind of all or nothing false dichotomy or something, but I I do think, I do think that we get bogged down with just simply bringing worship to Jesus, talking about the things that he talked about, uh, you know, reading the text or whatever. When I think if Jesus had a message for us, it would be like, you know, I, I gave you the torch now run with it. Like, and, and so, you know, there's a lot of people not to make it too on the nose for what's happening right now that are really upset about not being able to worship together, which is, uh, you know, it's, it is a felt loss to not be together, to not be able to sing songs and come to the table and do the things that we do every week. But it it doesn't take away our ability to carry the torch. Like it doesn't mean that we can't keep bringing good news to the poor. It doesn't mean that we can't help widows and orphans. It doesn't mean that we like those kinds of things are not relegated to what happens within, uh, you know, the walls of a church or something like that. And, I do think that uh, carrying that and continuing the work is the whole point of it. Well, and if we're all very honest with ourselves, you know, worshiping Jesus is easier than carrying the torch. And so, of course, our default mode is going to be to centralize that. Right. Um, And of course— it goes without saying we're not saying don't worship. Sure. You know, but, but to your point that, that is very powerful is when the gathering point is taken away in these types of moments, you know, when we've said this before, what is it that remains? Um, Because if you, if you don't feel as though you can carry on the torch of this work of Jesus, if you can't come together and sing songs, then, then I, I, I don't think we understand the depth to which we are to embody 
this message of Jesus. The whole world is covered in the presence of God as the waters cover the sea. We are the people of God on mission in the in the world. We're full of God. Like we are uh full of the essence or the spirit, the animating energy of God. Like that those kinds of things have been given to us and you know, it's on us to figure out what that means or how we believe that that finds expression or all of that kind of thing. But if we believe that there's any shred of truth in that, then it means that we, you, you cannot be taken. If, if we go to the highest heights, the lowest depths, the, the Lord's still there with us and in us. And so it doesn't matter what happens to our bodies. It doesn't matter what happens to the world. There's always this kind of animating energy that's trying to come out into that specific context. And so, uh, you know, we, we'll keep figuring out what that means. Like we're not going to, we're going to be uh, willing and, and not willful. Like we're going to try to uh, just be open to what God's doing. We're going to just try to keep saying yes to God in every way that we can and be worth something in the world. And so sounds like Zeke is like yelling. Oh, there she's Chelsea's tickling him. Uh we're we're going to continue this work in in whatever ways that we can that are faithful and um and ultimately just you know just trust that God's in all of it somehow and the work isn't easy you know yeah, of course it's, not it's because ultimately to 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 carry the the torch that Jesus passes is to carry the cross <laughs> yeah um, and so I, if you I remember, you know, um, when David, David's last Sunday at Center City, when, in a sense, the, the torch was being passed then to, uh, to John. Right. Um, you know, we, uh, you and I were two of those given the opportunity to, to speak to that a little bit. And what you spoke of that day, I thought was just, it was just really uh it really captured part of you know the power of of what it means to pass them pass the mantle and i don't you would say it better than me but um and i don't well why don't you just speak to it what i think the thing that i tried to communicate was like there's not just some vague sense of authority that's being passed from one person to the next like it's not your job title is now being given to someone else. It is, um, it's not perfunctory. It's not a performative kind of, uh, you know, passing of some kind of uh, honorary torch. It is, um, it's the weight and the burden of carrying people. And so uh, it's bearing burdens. It's, um, I think I put put something in the notes of because of who David is. It's like a, it's like a prayer soaked or a uh, a tears soaked journal of names that gets prayed over uh, every single day. It's it's carrying broken marriages and and dead relatives and cancer diagnoses and uh, big victories and it's carrying people's lives inside of yourself. And that's that's the thing that's being 
past. And so I guess for, for our sake, it's like the thing that Jesus gives us is uh, it's not just some vague sense of authority that's being passed. It's not like, hey, you get to be this special class of people. You get to be um, uh, whatever. It, uh, you, you get to be the special people. It, it means that you carry the weight of, you know, Jesus crying over Jerusalem or crying over the death of Lazarus or, uh, or agonizing in the garden or uh, being moved with compassion for the lady with the issue of blood or um, all of the things that animated Jesus now are supposed to live in us and be housed in our bodies and then come out into our hands and words and all of that. And so, um, why would Elisha, why would Elisha want a double portion of what Elijah just went through? Right. You know, it like, it, it, it just is not me or anyone begging to be mentored by the CEO of this large company so that I can, then sit at the the big chair at the in the office when he passes it to me and right. I can you know have that authority and I can be the big voice whatever like Elijah was you know even his greatest victory or quote unquote victory at Mount Carmel led to running for his life um, oh yeah you know depression uh, praying to have it end in the wilderness alone you know, bearing the burden of these people saying no one is listening to this alternative message. Like, why would you want a double portion of that? And it's because Elisha saw that there was something meaningful that the world needed and he knew that it couldn't end with Elijah. And so it was a sacrificial request to bear that burden. And I think that that is so important because when we think of of carrying this alternative message of Jesus into the world. It's a, it, yes, it's full of these, you know, truth, goodness, and beauty and all of these things, but, but it's a sacrificial request. It's the path it's of like, death. I mean, it's, it, you are going to be on the path of suffering at great cost. It is. I, 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 I hope this isn't just going on a tangent, but I had this, I was thinking through part of the Exodus story yesterday and I had this thought like, you know, when when the people when the people cried out after generation after generation after generation of of being uh, deeply ingrained into an oppressive way of being in the world, they they cried out, and and part of that liberating cry, like we think of it in terms of going from oppression into this great sense of freedom. But there was an enormous sacrificial element to that because they chose the wilderness. Like they they had to bear that path to the promised land. And it wasn't just for them, but they were they were burdened with choosing that for the next generation as well. Right. You know, and so like it got me thinking. What does it mean for us? Like if we literally accepted, if we genuinely accepted this torch that Jesus is handing, like what does that look like to choose sacrifices 
that not only affect us, but maybe will affect the next generation, but open, but in turn will open doors that generations later look more like a promised land. New Does that make sense? Oh, yes, yes. New pathways to freedom. I think that's, I think that's profound. I think it's really, really important. Um, well, I, I think, you know, we could obviously go for three more hours on this, but, um, and we'll continue part of this conversation in future podcasts, but let's just, Steve, why don't you just pray for us and, um, and we'll, we'll continue to put stuff out that, you know, um, we'll continue to have these conversations and, uh, and talk about all the, the, the ways that we're going to kind of hopefully take this message, take this torch or whatever. Um, even in this, even, uh, even in our community this summer, how, what that looks like for us and all of that. But Steve, why don't you just pray for us? Yeah. God help us in these moments to just be reminded of the, the thing that we are deeply connected to God is, is through the disciples, father, we are witnesses to the ascension god we we've been gifted with that and we've been burdened with that god but it's a it's a beautiful burden worth worth carrying god amen um your yoke is light it's just it's this weird it's this it's this weird juxtaposition god of lightness and beauty and truth and goodness god but with carrying crosses and doing the work of bringing your goodness into the world, giving flesh and blood to your grace and your love and your desire, God, that all might thrive, that all of life might find fulfillment and thriving, God. So as we continue to explore what it means for us to be the community that witnesses the ascension of Jesus, God, would your spirit guide us Give us wisdom, give us understanding as we move forward together in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Beautiful, man. Um, I'll call you in five minutes. All right. All right, peace.